This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to explore important trends, technologies, methodologies, and strategies in the larger energy industry. As we jump into today's conversation, I want to make sure you've got all of our previous content and the right resources to fully dig into what we're going to be breaking down today. So make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com. Again, that's opportune.com for more information. Uh, You'll find previous episodes of the podcast. You'll also find videos, articles, blogs, um, white papers, all of the above. You can also subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new episodes. So today's episode is breaking down the importance of ESG, environmental, social, and governance strategies, for the chemical supply chain. How do chemical companies address supply chain challenges and do so for the times? Well, one tool that has found its way into supply chain realignment and that is pushing companies to be more strategic and thoughtful in every linked business decision is ESG strategy. So I'd like to welcome our show's several guests. We have three different professionals joining us today to walk us through this intersection of ESG and the chemical supply chain. First up from the Opportune team, we're joined by Patrick Long. He's a director at Opportune. Patrick, great to chat again. How you doing? Great. Thank you very much. Now, always a pleasure getting to have you on the show, so thanks for taking some time. We're also joined by Randy Whitaker. He's CFO and co-founder of Veritas Chemical. Veritas Chemical is an operationally Nebraska-based worldwide manufacturer of renewable and bio-based ethanol chemicals. Randy, great to have you on. How are you? I'm great. I appreciate you having me on, Daniel. Absolutely. Thanks for giving us that grounded chemical supply chain perspective today. We're also joined by Bhavesh Patel. He is a business development lead for the chemicals group for the uh, Americas at Helm AG. And Helm AG is a global chemical marketing and distribution company and a provider of various chemical products. Bhavesh, thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you, Daniel. Doing well. Fantastic stuff. So I want to start with an introduction to both Helm and Veritas uh, to get a better sense for where ESG fits into the chemicals industry. Oh, great. Thanks uh, uh, for the opportunity to be here. Really excited about that Uh, and share with you a little bit about uh, uh, Veritas Chemical. We are an early stage uh, company that acquired a plant uh, about a year ago or so. um, And that plant was uh, designed for the purpose of taking ethanol, and using catalytic processes, converting it into uh, renewable ethyl acetate. And once we get the plant up and running, uh, we will be um, one of the largest renewable ethyl acetate providers in the world, and certainly the largest uh, renewable ethyl acetate uh, manufacturer here in the United States. I'll toss the same question over to Bavesh. Bavesh, uh, give us the lowdown on Helm AG and uh, how you see the company fitting into the larger chemical supply chain. Thanks again for having us here. You know, Helm AG is, is essentially a chemical distribution and marketing company, but these chemicals 
go into various fields from our standpoint, right? So they go into chemical, the, the chemical raw material industry, fertilizers, crop, and pharmaceuticals. We are a global company, and that's where the partnership with Veritas is uh, extensively deep, I would say. And we are deeply rooted in terms of a family-owned heritage because we're roughly 120 years old. And, you know, in terms of just sheer size of the company, but also we're probably one of the top five distribution companies, depending on what happens to the pricing of chemicals. Um, so, we, you know, we bring that scale. Perfect. Thanks for that context, Randy and Bavesh. So now let's get into the core of the topic. Uh, As companies have adopted ESG strategies at large, how has the chemical industry reassessed its footprint and some of its common business practices? I can tell you from our perspective, uh, we are seeing manufacturers uh, that uh, use our uh, product, ethyl acetate, um, having a, um, a strong interest in making their products more sustainable. And what we're seeing is those products that are uh, uh, closer to the ultimate consumer uh, probably are more uh, rapidly uh, uh, achieving sustainable, uh, higher sustainable levels than those that are using ethyl acetate uh, as a as a solvent uh, or, or something that is not quite so close to uh, to the consumer. You know, our product goes into uh, everything from uh, inks and paints and coatings on the industrial side to personal care products, uh, cosmetics, and, and depending on which consumer we're really uh, kind of targeting, that um, you know those two consumers are you know very interested in, in sustainable uh, manufacturing processes, but the ones that are closer to the retailer are a little bit uh, more aggressive in, in their interest in, in using our product. As being a privately held company, uh, we want to make sure that um, you know those are core values, which are you know, trust, collaboration, and supporting each other, right? Those come through in the in the way we structure these deals, especially on ESG. The other element of our company is that we do um, actually partner and invest into assets. So we take a minority investment position. We don't operate our own assets, um, but, you know, we, we enable the market to these producers. Have ESG strategies always, or at least in recent memory, commonly been kind of the go-to solution? So we look at it from uh, the entire value chain, right? So from production or, you know, start from production all the way to the final consumer. And at the end of the day, what's happened over, I would say, the last five years or so, right, especially during COVID, was that the consumer has become a lot more aware of where their products are coming from. Let me uh, uh, kind of add, add a couple of thoughts to that, Daniel. Mm-hmm. My career before before Veritas was I uh, spent many years at uh, in the waste industry, and while I was uh, at the waste industry uh, company, got an opportunity to really understand um, kind of how uh, the that industry was was being affected by sustainability, which I think was a little little out in front of uh, most other industries because we were having to deal with things such as managing landfills, uh, community interests and in reducing waste streams, improving recycling. And, and so, you know, my 16 years in the waste industry, I think gave me a pretty good understanding of how trends were uh, kind of moving. Me and my business partner, Carl Rush, felt like this was a, um, this was a very unique opportunity to be a producer of something that uh, wasn't uh, already uh, uh, being recognized here in the U.S which is uh, taking ethanol and using catalytic processes and producing renewable chemicals. 
you know, we, we knew in other parts of the world that uh, sustainability and renewable chemical manufacturing was uh, probably a little ahead of what it is here in the in the U.S. But um, you know, if we could bring something to the market that was timed right, we would be in a position to be able to be you know give ourselves a a great chance for for success. And then tapping into the markets that uh, Bavesh and, and the Helm team uh, give us you know open up for us on the distribution side was was something that uh, we really thought was a unique. Yeah, you know, situation was a unique opportunity, and that's that's really why we we got interested in in uh, pursuing uh, Viridis um, as a company. So let's get some more grounded recent examples of ESG in action. I'll turn to just both of your companies. From our perspective, you know, we are seeing you know, a workforce that has a strong interest in what their employer is going to contribute to society. So. Just from a uh, from a labor perspective, you know we're we're addressing uh, questions and concerns from uh, p- prospective employees uh, from the product manufacturing side. You know if we are producing something that is a, uh, a bio based product, and it is uh, through our proprietary processes something that's unique to the U.S. and uh, uh, going to be unique probably uh, throughout most of the rest of the world, in that we're bringing a renewable chemical that uh, didn't previously exist through proprietary processes that uh, we own and control. Our investors are very, very interested in making sure that, you know, the, um, the investments that they are making meet the expectations that they have and their investors' investors have on the types of companies that they're supporting. And, you know, just to kind of throw out a couple of recent facts that, that I've come across is that, you know, by 2025, I think that globally there will be somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 trillion of assets under management that have ESG as part of the decision-making process on, on whether, you know, somebody moves forward to, to, uh, to, to invest in a certain company or not. And I think that's only going to accelerate as we get close, closer to the end of the decade. So if you're a company that isn't already focused on ESG, you, you are going to lose uh, significant interest on the investor side. I think also going to uh, uh, lose interest on the consumer side as that becomes more and more prevalent in people's buying decisions. So uh, I think for us as a, uh, as a manufacturer of a renewable product, you know, we are uh, very much kind of right in the middle of the, the, the value proposition for ESG, and we fit in the supply chain for those customers of ours who are interested in being more sustainable on up and down their value chain. What is the philosophy for Helm as a player in the industry, and how has that begun to influence how you apply ESG, and to what effect? So I, I go back to the, the val- core value of the company, provide a better life for the next generation, okay? That is the base principle of the ESG of the company. You know, we want to evolve from the brand of a chemical distributor to a chemical solution provider, right? So there, I think that's the big change we see, and ESG is that big component. The other part of this whole sustainability exercise is to really educate a lot of the buyers, educate a lot of the brand owners, and to to have them understand that, you know, where your feedstock comes from is important, but at the same time, knowing what your impact is on the earth from, you know, aid from basically cradle to gate, right? And having 
having that circular economy, enabling that economy. And a lot of our investments are, are, are actually going towards that direction because of, you know, a lot of the reasons that Randy already mentioned, right? Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both, right? Um, you want to secure the future for your, your workforce, but also secure it in a way that you continue to, you know, um, have your company be a sustainable place to be from a business standpoint. All right. I wanted to highlight Helm's investment in partnerships um, because I think working together with other companies in the space can help more actively set standards across the whole board and move the needle forward for the whole industry. One of those partnerships is with Veritas Chemical. Can you walk us through how you see this specific partnership pushing your ESG strategies forward? Sure. Yeah, so we, we, we've had a little bit of history with uh, Veritas, and I think the number one element of, of that product, of the two products that are coming out of, of that facility, is those are core principles of what we want to do in the marketplace, right? So ethyl acetate take, for example, really touches the final consumer, right? So one of the big places that it goes into is, uh, is personal care. And so we hear that in the marketplace to say, you know, we need a solution that is bio-based, that is an alternative to petro or fossil-based ethyl acetate. And really that, that, I mean, that was one of the core elements. And now on top of that, you know, when you work with big brands, you have to have a reliable partner. And for us, it's extremely important to have somebody um, like Veritas that really, you know, knows their engineering, knows their technology, and knows how to operate the asset on a reliable basis. Yeah, thanks, uh, Bavesh. We, we couldn't be more excited to work with a company than, than we are to work with Helm. You know, we, we know our place at this point in the, in the, uh, the value chain, which is a producer. Um, we have uh, been working real hard to get our plant up and running, get our technology perfected, and so that we can be a supplier into Bavesh's network. But for us, you know, it's important who we, who we work with. And a company like Helm not only gives us the exposure and the network that we just couldn't afford to build uh, or couldn't build quickly enough if it were just left on our own, but also gives us the brand quality that, uh, that they have in the marketplace for who they are as a, uh, as a distributor of, of chemicals, the core values that they have as a company. So... Uh, from our perspective, you know, we, we couldn't be more pleased to be partners in this uh, part of Helm's business and able to supply them ethyl acetate and uh, other similar types of products in the future as we grow as a company. But I think that, Daniel, that uh, uh, we, we found ourselves in a unique position between a bio-based ethanol producer, uh, ADM, and a seller of renewable chemicals globally in, in Helm, and, and we play our role in, in the middle as the producer. What are the main motivators that often define the scope of ESG, kind of at a high level? One of the first ones is, is it policy-based? And so there are government factors. Some countries, some regions are a bit more progressive than other, and it'll be very interesting to get that perspective considering Helm and its EU-based but then there also are states that have differing policies. So one thing that I'm seeing is in California, a number of our customers are uh, sending renewable diesel um, out there. Again, because of policies that have been passed and companies want to take advantage um, of the credits that those are affording. A couple other factors being employee-led. 
it's something that we as a company are dealing with um, is employees want to work for companies where they feel good about it. And I think it's unique to have that perspective in chemical and within the chemical industry. And then from investors themselves, there's a lot of money out there that is looking for sustainable projects because that is where their customers, their investors that are filling these funds are demanding there to be action and returns. And so they in turn are looking for opportunities. Yeah, no, it's a, and, and thank you for that. It, it gives really good context. So from a health standpoint, right, if we look, if we start with Europe because of, of, of the, where our route is, um, we actively want to be participating, right? Take a, uh, into, into programs that are voluntary basis. So responsible care is something that we join without having any mandates, right? Before they became mandated. So, you know, that's an important element. And, and governance itself, you know, I think as we open up our, our books to, to investors, they're starting to see that, hey, you have self-governed yourself for a long time, right? And now it's just more of putting that label on it. However, at the same time, um, a lot of the push and pull comes from, you know, for us, we, we think of it as the push is internal a lot of times, and it, it, it's coming from our, our owners saying, we want to do this, right? We want to be responsible. We want to leave the world a better place. Glad to uh, add a little bit more to uh, the discussion. Uh, you know, our existence, our competitive advantage in the marketplace is that we solve a problem for users of chemicals that are interested in having more sustainably oriented supply chains. We are a producer of renewable chemicals. And, and so we know that our customers in the marketplace are looking at us to be able to fill a need that they have and that their customers are demanding that, that they bring them, uh, which is more sustainable products in, in the marketplace. And I think as we move forward, we will see reporting uh, become even more sophisticated and more even potentially required uh, by, uh, by not the con- only the consumer, but, uh, but at some point, I think the regulators for public companies, the SEC, will start re- uh, mandating certain disclosures uh, be included in companies' filings. And, and I think it's just it's been a real interesting evolution of this topic uh, throughout my career to see where it was and to see where it is today. Vivesh, I have a question for you. You're extremely fortunate with Viridis and sort of their organic growth in this area and being completely sustainable. But what are you all doing to help encourage fossil-based, you know, companies, different producers to become more bio-based? Is, is that, are there programs and investments that you all have there? to try to convert that or their targets? Very good point. And to be, again, to be very clear, we have fossil-based products now, yeah. right? And so I think, you know, part of our decarbonization strategy for, for sustainability or ESG in general and is, is, is to work with our partners, right? To say, can what can we do with this, right? So, you know, you take certain products and you say, and you may be producing with, producing it a certain bad way. You might have a lot of emotion, em, emissions on CO2 or hydrogen, and what are you doing with that, right? And that's where the, the evolution of a distributor to a solution provider comes, right? So we're not only working downstream, we're working upstream and saying, working with our partners. And, and this is, again, the roadmap we're defining now, right? That's our plan, is to help our partners both upstream and downstream. All right. How are investors pushing companies into ESG in the chemical supply chain? Walk us through that dynamic. I'd be glad to take that one on. I, I would uh, 
be remiss if, uh, if I didn't mention the, uh, the, the tremendous support that we get from our investor group, uh, EIB Capital here in uh, Houston, Texas, and uh, IFG Asset Management in uh, the Northeast. Uh, both groups are uh, very integral in, in helping us come to uh, come into existence as a company, and, and both groups have a strong, strong interest in ESG and, um, and are helping us um, make sure that we are looking at things as uh, cl- clearly and managing our company as well as we possibly can to, to be a good community participant, to be a good employer of choice, as well as certainly to be a producer of products and participate in the supply chain for renewable chemicals uh, to the extent uh, that uh, we, the maximum extent that we possibly can. Let's talk government policy now, uh, which, as we mentioned in uh, part one, is very varied across the globe, often EU's ESG standards uh, kind of define the scope for how steep they can get at an international level? Certainly. So, you know, our, our company being, as I mentioned, Hamburg, Hamburg headquartered, right? We're very European-centric in that regard, where a lot of the policies are, are designed to meet the strict standards in Europe. You know, you look at Europe with a lot of the bans on single-use plastics, right? They trickle down into some of the raw materials we make. And a lot of the automotive industry they have on their own and also via the European policies, they've looked at decarbonization around, you know, no more internal combustion engines, right, for example. And so what does that mean for our company? However, we do it via our own stewardship, which is, number one, where we invest. I think the reality is, is that there are a lot of companies that are making this evolution. And I mean, we're talking with two that are very much on the forefront of it. But others are slowly coming along and they're doing their part with it as well. And I, my bet in, is that the, the winners will be those that adopt early and ESG just becomes a natural part. It's no longer a goal. It's just something that is just a core value. Well, Daniel, I think I can add a little bit perspective from, uh, from my uh, early stage uh, uh, kind of producer of renewable chemicals. And that sure. we do work with a group called the Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition. And uh, that is a, a group out of Washington, D.C. that has a number of uh, members that are uh, producers of um, uh, alternative fuels and, um, and and also renewable chemicals. And, and that is an advocacy group that is trying to uh, advance the, uh, the ball, uh, so to speak, on the production of of renewable products, uh, bio-based products, and uh, you know, a- areas of interest for us that they're working on is, is trying to get uh, legislation passed that looks at the production of renewable chemicals and provides investment tax credits at the federal level uh, for renewable chemicals, uh, similar to how those are made available for producers of renewable fuels. And so I think at the state level and at the federal level, you know, subsidies, assistance, uh, those types of uh, uh, support uh, networks are needed to attract more producers to be able to take the risk of developing, uh, you know, products like uh, what we we are doing and and some of the other uh, producers that are supplying uh, Helm uh, for uh, for those customers that are interested in renewable chemicals. 
How is this dynamic of employees having a voice and a say, a guiding power in um, shaping ESG strategies? Yeah, it's very important. I, I think they are asking questions uh, to hold their prospective employers or their current employers accountable uh, to make sure that the, the decisions that they're going to make on where they're going to work or where they have decided to go to work. If I can offer a bit of a perspective on this, I, I think there, there's almost two different vantage points. So one is a pure bio-based solution, such as Randy's offering. In some of the clients that I deal with, which are more fossil-based, I think that the executives are walking a bit of a fine line. While they may want to embrace the sustainability and understand the importance and be true to the investors, their businesses are rooted in an industry that has traditionally been based and the processes are just a certain way. And those aren't going to change overnight. And so I think it's a bit more of a journey. I find that terribly fascinating that there isn't just one way in which this gets implemented. Where are you seeing some powerful decisions in the market today around reworking the chemical supply chain to be ESG compliant? What really stands out as the most effective and the most critical and influential for the market today? Yeah, if I may start from a home perspective, you know, having the the global footprint, COVID actually kind of kind of surfaced a lot of supply chain issues for a lot of folks, but especially for us being a distributor. You know, what we what we saw is that the, the long supply chains are becoming a problem, right? And continue to be a problem because of availability of products, raw materials, final goods, and the shipping back and forth is not good for one. It's not good for the asset itself, and it's not good for the consumer. So that creates a big problem in the world economies. Now, you know, how do you forward thinking or forward seeing, and how do we as a company kind of participate in that? You know, we like to reduce the complexity. So, you know, we want to optimize our routes. We want to reduce those long times if we can in many, many possible ways. And then providing, you know, on a longer term basis, providing that that benefit from a, take it from a CO2 impact standpoint, right? Measuring that on our supply chain and giving that data back to the producer or the consumer or the final goods producer and letting them take that and promote it if they need to, right? But at the end of the day, this is what we are trying to do, optimize our supply chain and really you know, reduce, reduce the downtime, right, on, on, on both ends of, uh, of the chemical sector. What we're seeing is a renewed interest in really digitizing supply chains because companies really want to know upstream and downstream what is going on with suppliers and customers and how they either are or are not participating. And then if they're not, how can they shift so that they can and what options are out there? either as Pavesh was commenting on reducing the complexity, right? Or just even just around a transparency, which is so critical for the mandates for some of these companies because of investors, because of employees, because of some of those aspects that we talked about in the last podcast. Let's get some insight into your specific three to five year horizon. What are the goals and targets for your portfolio diversification? Now that you've you know kind of alluded to the fact that you're hoping to go almost fully renewable here in the future? Certainly. We mentioned a little bit about the vision of the company in terms of when it comes to ESG. Right. Um, you know, providing a better life for the next generation is extremely important, and it's, it's deep-rooted into some of the decisions for the future. Now, you know, when I say that our portfolio needs to become renewable, you know, and, and it's a time horizon, right? It's a 2020, 2035 and then beyond where we want to have that neutrality in place. How do we get there? 
you know, uh, there's three main pillars, which we talked about a little bit ago. Was number one is a decarbonization of our portfolio. So actively doing that, right? Not just saying it, but actively doing that. And that includes working with our existing partners to find ways to, again, you know, improving their carbon footprint, but also helping them get what's coming out of those plants. Number two is a, is a circular economy element. And really that ties into a lot of just awareness and, and consumer behavior where we can see or we can enable potentially technologies to um, recycle better, right? And bringing that, those molecules back to the same partners we're working with and, and helping the overall system work better. And the last piece and is, is really what the, the Veritas partnership enabled and enables, continues to enable, is biochemicals, right? So Veritas being a great example for ethyl acetate, bio-based ethyl acetate. Similar questions for you on Veritas, but is there a three to five year horizon, new goals or targets that uh, you're looking to set? One of the things that uh, we're really excited about is that our process, our chemical reaction to produce ethyl acetate from renewable ethanol actually produces as a byproduct a green hydrogen. It's exciting stuff to hear, you know, those big picture plans. I think it speaks a lot to how the chemical supply chain is really trying to make the most of this ESG trend. And Patrick, I'm curious your thoughts here as well, based on, you know, working with companies in this industry, but how long until we see that happen, right? When does ESG graduate from being, you know, a focused team? We need to make sure we're hitting our ESG goals to just ESG being the core metric for success for companies in the chemical supply chain. I think it has to do with first, is a company private or public? If a company is private, there's perhaps more latitude that they have. They're still trying to attract investment and they perhaps have a bit more flexibility. And so I would say given today's market and the press, Randy quoted some stats on just the enormous amount of investment money, you know, for sustainability. I've seen a number of articles that are, you know, speak to the same kind of terms and it's how investment is fleeing more of the fossil based. I think that will absolutely push and accelerate it. If a company is public, I think that it will increase and the transition so long as they have activist board members. I think that's one of the biggest factors right now in this space. And Patrick, to, you know, and thanks for mentioning that because I think it's, it's a strategy. I think I don't see that trend going away in terms of, you know, chasing dollars is one thing, but also just the norm, right? I think we will always have that, you know, IRR, right? Uh, you'll have your NPVs and then you'll have all these financial metrics. And on top of that, I think it's going to be a ESG metric that will not go away. Yeah, let me uh, just kind of follow on to that, Daniel, just for a moment. I, I, I agree in that I don't think the concepts uh, or the fundamentals of ESG are going to ever go away. They may take slightly different uh, name or they may take a slightly different shape over time as the expectations evolve and the requirements evolve and the regulations become more pronounced. But I, I think it's here to stay and uh, it's being driven by those who have ideals and core values that uh, align with the principles of ESG. And I think on that note, we'll wrap it up. This was a real pleasure again to pick your brains on 
the intersections of ESG and the chemical supply chain, how that's turning into actionable strategies, how to make sense of the various motivators that are pushing ESG forward, and what we can expect for the future and how both of your companies, as well as Opportune, are setting a standard for ESG. So thanks again to our three guests, Patrick Long, director at Opportune, Randy Whitaker, CFO and co-founder of Veritas Chemical, and Bavesh Patel, business development lead for the chemicals group for the Americas at Helm AG. Randy, we'll toss it to you. If folks want to find out more about Veritas, where can we point them? You can go to veritaschemical.com and you can also find us on LinkedIn. Easy enough. Bavesh, same question. Where can folks learn more about Helm AG? Sure. Again, the easiest place is uh, helmag.com or our LinkedIn page. And uh, feel free to like it and follow you as well, Daniel. Hey, I, I sure will. All right. Thank you again to the two of you. And Patrick, thank you for your perspective. It's always welcome. All right. Thank you all very much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the episode on E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes, maybe you want to give all three parts another run, or you just want to tap into some of our other thought leadership pieces of content and conversations, head to our website, opportune.com, for more. You'll also find plenty of resources and contact information to get a hold of us if you have questions on how Opportune plays a role. You can also subscribe to E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for that full catalog and notifications when we drop new episodes. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thanks so much for listening to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business. Energy to Business.